Our reading comes from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Sam. Uh, my name's Ollie. I'm one of the uh, ministers of this church. And isn't it uh, great to be here together on Christmas Day, able to gather in such large numbers and to uh, rejoice the, in the birth of Jesus. Well, I'm going to speak uh, briefly from the passage we've just heard read out. But as a begin, uh, we're going to pray. So please pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, Christmas Day the day when more than 2,000 years ago you sent your Son into the world for our sake. And we ask that as we hear more about a part of that Christmas story now, that you'd uh, be comforting us, encouraging us, and even challenging us by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, what's on your bucket list? What is it you want to do before you kick the bucket, before you die? Uh, for me, I want to run a half marathon. 
This is a fairly new uh, goal for me. I was inspired by a young man in our church who uh, just recently did that incredible feat, feat, and I thought it would be a great way to inspire me to keep fit. I don't want to go out and go for a run without some kind of goal to work towards, so I thought, why not do that? And I must also admit, I was a little bit shamed into it by John. Uh, Not that he said anything, but just knowing that he goes and he runs so much and so often, I thought I should uh, lift my game. But I've been training for it for a few weeks now, and so far it's been pretty good. Uh, A lot of sore muscles, a lot of sore feet. But good so far. I've actually lost about four kilos doing it with all that running, so that was a nice added bonus. But that's one of my things on my bucket list, to do a half marathon. I also asked some of the elders and the staff in our church what's on their bucket list, and they gave me some interesting items. I'll share some of them with you. Uh, I won't tell you which is which. I'll leave that up to you to speculate. Uh, But the first one was this, to fly business class to Europe. I mean, that sounds like a great thing to do before you kick the bucket, doesn't it? What about this one? Uh, Next one, to visit the La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. I don't know what that is, but it sounds good. So uh, whatever that is, I'm sure it's a a good thing to do before you die. Uh, What about this one? To go to Cape Canaveral to watch a space shuttle or rocket launch. Although that that was quite an unexpected one, but yeah, I mean, that sounds like a great thing. What about this one, to, um, to swim with the killer whales? I thought that was illegal, but apparently it's not, and so that's, um, that's one, one thing. Uh, what about this, a life without plumbing problems, no leaks, floods, overflow. You can almost feel the pain in that, can't you? And what about the, the final one, to catch a lobster with their bare hands? Uh, that was John. I thought it was, uh, it was extremely unexpected, but that's probably my favorite one from the list. But uh, there's just some things on their bucket list. And I wonder for you, what's on your bucket list? What is it you want to do before you die? Perhaps it's something fairly lighthearted like some of those, or perhaps it's something more serious, maybe on your bucket list. You want to leave the world a better place before you die. Or maybe you want to have kids and watch them grow up and be successful. I wonder, what is it for you that would make you feel like your life was satisfied? Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, the famous painter, talks about a similar idea, not about bucket lists, but about having a a satisfactory life. And this is what he says. He says, as a well-spent day brings a happy sleep, so a life well spent brings happy death. See what he's saying? If you live your life well, if you spend your life well, then you can die happy. And while in a sense this is just one man's opinion, I think what he says resonates with us, doesn't it? And that's the whole point of bucket lists. It's thinking, how can we spend our life well so that we'll be satisfied when we face death? And so I wonder, what's on your bucket list? Now, talking about bucket lists and death might feel like a bit of an unusual thing to talk about on Christmas morning. You might be thinking, well, what does this have to do with Christmas? But the reason we're thinking about it is because in our passage, we've just heard read out before, we've got a man who, in a sense, has only one thing on his bucket list, to see the first Christmas He doesn't want to catch a lobster with his bare hands. He doesn't want to fly business class to Europe. The only thing on his bucket list is to see the first Christmas. And if he did that, then as Da Vinci says, he he could die happy. 
And now that might sound like a strange thing to have on your bucket list, to be the only thing on your bucket list. But I hope that as we work through the passage today, you'll realize how actually, in a sense, that's the only thing that should be on any of our bucket lists. Or at least the events that happened that day should tie in with the only thing on our bucket list. And so let's uh, get into the passage. The story starts as Mary and Joseph enter into the temple. And it would have been extremely busy at that time of year, uh, perhaps a little bit like Chatty at, on Christmas Eve. I do remember I went there, I made the mistake of going there one year on Christmas Eve to do some shopping. It was not a good idea. Even at 9am in the morning, it was almost impossible to find a car park. There were just people all over the place. And in a sense, that's what the, a bit like what the temple would have been like at this time of year. Just people crowded shoulder to shoulder all over the place. And into this mass of people come Mary and Joseph. And you can just imagine this has been a hectic time for them. The miraculous pregnancy, the forced journey to Bethlehem, the frantic search for a place to give birth, the stressful labor in a barn, the surprising visit of the shepherds, not to mention the stress of a newborn baby. You can just imagine how exhausted they are. And they're here at the temple now to do their typical Jewish stuff, uh, to circumcise the newborn and to dedicate him to God with sacrifices. And at the temple is a man called Simeon. He's described in verse 25. Have a look with me at verse 25. It says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. And now, usually when Luke uses the word righteous, he's describing uh, actions towards someone else. And usually when he uses the word devout, he's describing kind of holiness or actions towards God. So in a sense, what we hear about this guy, Simeon, is he's loving to others and he's diligent to God. And this diligent and godly man is waiting for something. Did you notice what it is he's waiting for? Have a look at verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now that word consolation isn't one we use that much nowadays, but it just means to give comfort. He's waiting for the comfort of God's people. And in fact, as the story continues, we see that not only is he waiting for that broad idea of consolation, he's actually been given a particular promise that he won't die until he sees the Lord's Messiah. Now, uh, the word Messiah just means special king, and God had promised him that he would see this special king, the one who would bring comfort to God's people. And so that's what he's waiting for. That's the one thing on his bucket list, to see this special king. And you can just sense how long he's been waiting, that anticipation. And then one day, the Holy Spirit leads him into the temple, and as he comes in, amid the press of people all over the place, amid the cries of the money changers, amid the smell of the animals, he spies a young couple across the room holding a newborn baby. And you can only imagine how unimpressive Jesus would have been at this point. I mean, he's only an eight-day-old baby. This is what uh, Levi, my son, looked like at eight days old. And you can just see he's not impressive at all. He's cute but certainly not impressive. And you can just imagine that that's what baby Jesus is like. There's nothing about him that screams, this is God's special king. And yet, as Simeon looks at him, he realizes that this is it. This is the moment his whole life has been building up to. This is the moment he's been waiting his whole life for. 
for this baby, the Messiah, God's special king. And so he comes to this baby and he clings to him tightly. And as he does, he sings a song. I, was, uh, I rejoiced when Levi was born, but I certainly didn't sing a song. But here we see uh, Simeon sing. And have a look at verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. As he holds this newborn baby, he just experiences this profound sense of God's peace. He's ready to go home to be with God. And we can't help but think of Da Vinci's quote there, a life well spent brings happy death. In a sense, that's what Simeon's saying here. He's saying he's content with life, and so he's happy to face death. In a sense, he's ticked off that one item from his bucket list. And so he feels content to die. But I don't know about you, but I find it a little bit unusual to think that he might be willing to or happy to die just because he's ticked something off his bucket list. Uh, with that young man I mentioned earlier who'd done a half marathon, we were chatting the other day and I was congratulating him on what an impressive effort it was. But you know what? In that conversation, he didn't tell me, hey Ollie, now that I've done a half marathon, I'm happy to die. Uh, he just didn't say that. And isn't that the way? Even when we tick items off our bucket list, we still feel that sense of reservation about death. And yet here, Simeon is so at peace, so content, so happy to die. Why is that? How can he say that over a little child? Well, we see it as the story continues. Have a look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This baby lying cooing in his arms was and is God's salvation. I mean, how stunning is that in a little eight-day-old baby? He's the one that would bring consolation, comfort to God's people. And so that's why Simeon is so content. J.C. Ryle, the, the famous theologian, talks about this, and this is what he says. He says, Simeon speaks like one for whom the grave has lost its terror and the world has lost its charms. That is, he's no longer fearful of death, and there's nothing left in the world that he longs for because he's seen this little baby, the one who'll bring salvation. And do you know what? The offer here is that just like Simeon, the world, the world can lose its charms for us and the grave can lose its fear in Jesus. We don't need anything else to have a successful life. We don't need to run a marathon. We don't need to swim with killer whales. We don't need any of that. The only thing we need to have a successful life, to be at peace, is Jesus. This baby born more than 2,000 years ago on that first Christmas because he brings salvation. And interestingly, did you see who the salvation's for? Have a look at verses 31 and 32. The salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. See, this special king brings salvation both for Israel, God's people, but also for the Gentiles, those who aren't ethnically Jewish, which I suspect is most of us. I know here at St. Stephen's we have people from more than 20 different ethnic backgrounds, born in Australia, China, America, Mongolia, Scotland, Indonesia, all sorts of different backgrounds. And Jesus offers salvation for every single one of us, no matter where we were born, 
no matter who we are. And with that in mind, it's no wonder that Simeon clings so tightly to the baby Jesus. You can just imagine, he looks at him, and he looks at him, and he looks at him, again and again, at the coming Redeemer, the one who brings salvation for any who trusts in them. But interestingly, even though he brings salvation, did you notice what this baby Jesus will do? Certainly it's not what people were expecting. You've got to remember, at this time, the Jews were under the Roman Empire's thumb. They were subjugated, they were defeated, they were a puppet state. And they thought that when the Messiah came, the salvation he'd bring would look like God's salvation in a military sense. And they thought they'd be able to unite as God's people cast off those bonds. But interestingly, Simeon says that's not what he's here to do. Have a look at verses 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Do you see that? This baby will actually divide which is quite unusual for babies. I don't know if you've ever met a baby that divides. Usually they don't. Usually they unite people. People are united in just how beautiful the baby is, just how much it looks like mum or dad. And they compliment. Yet here, this baby will cause some to rise, but others to fall. And in fact, that's what we see as Jesus' ministry progressed. He did split people. Broadly speaking, he split people into two categories. There were those who were opposed to Jesus, who hated him, and they were headed by the religious leaders. And then there were those who loved him, who saw him as the one who had come to bring consolation and salvation. And interestingly, that group actually included many Gentiles. But the question is, well, why did Jesus' ministry divide? Well, it's because it exposed people's inner thoughts I heard a story about a, a friend of a friend a few years ago. He was a minister. And on the outside, he was a, a great minister, well-loved by his church. He led Bible studies, preached well. He was kind to everyone. Always went and visited people. Very well-loved and seemed like such a godly guy. But do you know what was happening? The whole time, for years and years, he was actually having an affair. And so even though he seemed so godly on the outside, on the inside... It was far from God, and no one knew it. And isn't that the way of life? Isn't it so easy for us to put on a facade, to put on an external exterior that looks so righteous, that looks like we love God, when inside, maybe we don't. See, we might be, it's so easy to fool others. But what we see here is that we cannot fool God. And Jesus' ministry shows us that one day that will be exposed either in our lifetime or on Judgment Day. And see, that's why Jesus' ministry divided people so much. Because it exposed those who genuinely loved God from those who just had a religious facade. And so the question is, which one will you be? Will you be someone who falls, someone that only has that religious exterior who doesn't actually care about loving God? Or will you be someone who rises, who clings to Jesus, and because of Him, has that salvation and consolation on offer? Which one will you be? And then finally, we get a little bit of a glimpse of what, how that salvation from Jesus will come about. Did you see it there in verse 35? 
Have a look. This is speaking to Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. I mean, imagine saying that to a new mother. Uh, when I became a father, people had nothing but nice things to say to me, compliments and encouragement. Surprisingly, no one said to me, because of this child, a sword will pierce your soul too. No one said that. Yet that's what Simeon says to Mary. And it's hard to read that and to not cast our mind forward 30 years to when Jesus would hang on a Roman cross when Mary had to watch that. See, amid all of the joy of the birth, we see the cross looming in the background. I love how the American author Max Lucado uh, talks about this. He says this, talking of Jesus, your hands so tiny, so white, clutched tonight in an infant's fist. They aren't destined to hold a scepter nor wave from a palace balcony. They are reserved for a Roman spike that will staple them to a Roman cross. So even at the birth of Jesus, there's a hint of his death because the whole point of Christmas was Easter. See, that's how Jesus brought about the consolation of God's people, not through political power, not through military conquest, but only through his death on a cross for us. And so what I hope you'll remember this Christmas is the truth of Jesus, the truth of the salvation he brings. And I hope you'll be like Simeon, that you'll look on Jesus and you'll be content with what he offers to know that he's enough. And that in a sense then, we can echo what Simeon says. We can say, Sovereign Lord, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. See, we don't need a whole bucket list to feel satisfied with our lives. We don't need to finish uni and get a great job. We don't need to have the most successful kids on the block. We don't need overseas holidays or breathtaking experiences. We don't need any of that. They're not bad things. They're good things. But they're not the most important things. The most important thing is to echo Simeon, to be content and at peace because of Jesus. And that's why Christmas is such a joyful time, because there's that salvation and consolation found in Jesus. And when we, are, when we realize that, when we understand that, then it helps us to be like Simeon, and it helps us to be like a lady called Fanny Crosby. I don't know if you're familiar with her, some of us might be. She's a famous Christian hymn writer from the 1800s, but the thing about Fanny was that she was born blind. And imagine that. Imagine never being able to see, never being able to see the faces of your loved ones. Imagine having to spend your life walking around with a cane. Imagine never being able to see the beauty of a sunset or sunrise. Imagine being surrounded by darkness your whole life. If that was me, the number one on my bucket list would be to see, even if just for one day to get to see. And yet, for Fanny, despite being blind, she had such incredible contentment. Why? Well, because she had Jesus. And she knew that he was far better than sight. He was far better than anything the world could offer. And I love this quote about what she said. This is what she said. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I'm resolved that in this world, contented I shall be. And that's the kind of contentment and peace that comes from Jesus. From knowing that he's all we need. And so this Christmas, I do hope you'll be reminded of who Jesus is, 
and that you'll be like Simeon or like Fanny, that you won't chase contentment in anything else other than Jesus, the only one who can satisfy. I'm going to pray, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his birth and him coming. I would thank you that even in this little baby, salvation could be found. And in particular, though, we thank you then for Easter, that the point of Christmas was Easter, that Jesus came to live and then to die and to rise again for our sake. And so we pray that you would remind us of that today, that you would help us set our eyes on Jesus, even though there's lots of other good things happening, time with family, presents, food, all good things, but we ask that above everything, you would help us focus our eyes on Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.